0: Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 11. Vengeance and a Green Knight Quite a few years passed in peace and serenity after the treachery of Morgan Le Fay. Morgan stayed away from Camelot, hiding herself in the land of gore. Arthur and his knights jousted and held tournaments, always readying themselves for battle, but never actually having to fight one. The order of the round table was eventually completed, 149 of the 150 seats were filled. Only the siege perilous remained empty. Some of the new knights came from abroad, and some came from closer to home. Two of them we have met before. Agravaine and Gaheris, brothers of Sir Gawain, were both made knights. Sir Gaheris we have already got to know. He had always been sensible and wise for his years, but he also grew up to be a fine knight. He will, though, develop a bit of a reputation for exacting vengeance as we continue our story. Agravain, second oldest of the Orkney boys, was a different character altogether. He was tall, very good looking and a mighty warrior. He was given the nickname Agravain of the Hard Hands because of his excellent fighting skills. He was, quite simply, hard as nails. Agravaine, however, did not have the same code of honour as his brothers. He was moody, bitter and a bit of a sneak. As we will come to see much later in our tale, Agravain's jealousy and sneakiness will be part of the downfall of Camelot. The biggest change in the court of King Arthur during this time was the absence of Merlin. King Arthur missed the wizard's wise words and his advice. While things were peaceful, Merlin's absence didn't matter too much, but there would surely come a time when his counsel would be invaluable. Despite his absence, Merlin was not forgotten. As we have seen, he had made many prophecies about what would happen in the future. A good number of these prophecies had not yet come true. Many of the knights chose to go on quests during the time of peace. One of these was King Pellinore. Many years before, he had first met King Arthur while questing for the strange beast. King Pellinore was absolutely obsessed with the strange beast and took every opportunity he could to track it down. He'd never seen it since that day and it drove him mad. He was always making plans for the next excursion, and then riding out of Camelot on consistently unsuccessful adventures. One fine summer day, King Pellinore strode into the court, dressed in full questing gear. He announced he was off once again to seek and kill the strange beast. Arthur, who was very fond of King Pellinore, simply nodded and smiled. Some of the knights of the round Table sniggered and whispered amongst themselves, finding the obsessive quest of the King of the Isles highly amusing. Sitting in a corner were three knights who were not joining in the giggling. The Orkney brothers were plotting. Quietly, without bringing attention to themselves, they slipped out of the room and prepared their horses. King Pellinore rode out and headed through a nearby forest. Not long later, he had an encounter. Sadly for King Pellinore, the encounter was not with the strange beast. No, as he rode through the thickest part of the forest... King Pellinore was ambushed. Gawain jumped out in front of the king. Pellinore stopped, realising he was in a bad spot. As he was realising this, he further realised that the spot was becoming even worse. From the trees, two more figures slowly approached and stood behind Sir Gawain. Agravain and Geheris stared at their father's killer, faces entirely expressionless. Nobody spoke. Although he was fuelled by revenge, Gawain's code of honour prevented him from simply surprising Pellinor and cutting his throat. It also meant that three against one wasn't allowed. The eldest of the Orkney brothers drew his sword and eventually broke the silence. I have waited many years for this day, murderer. Pellinore opened his mouth to speak, but realised there wasn't much point. He took his sword in his hand and waited. Gawain struck. Driven by anger and vengeance, he set upon Pellinore with all of his might. It was still early in the day, so Gawain was not at his full strength, but he was more than a match for the King of the Isles. For some time they slashed and parried, thrusted and dodged, before Gawain began to gain the upper hand. Sensing he was winning, Sir Gawain summoned up every ounce of strength and struck King Pellinore a head-spinning blow. Pellinore dropped to the ground. Gawain darted in and took Pellinore's sword. "'throwing it deep into the forest. "'Then he took Pellinore's helmet in both hands and wrenched it off, "'exposing a very bruised and very battered head. Sir Gawain took off his gloves and put his hand around King Pellinore's neck and squeezed. "'A few seconds later, he dropped the motionless king to the ground. "'Silently he put on his gloves, signalled to his brothers and left the dead king where he dropped him. "'Except that he wasn't dead.' Not long later, Sir Kay and Pellinore's son, Sir Tor, rode by. King Pellinore, very weak but awake, tried to cry out. Tor, dear son, do not ride on, I need you. Sir Tor heard the voice, but either didn't believe it was his father, or had a reason for wanting him dead. Either way, he didn't stop, and left his mortally wounded parent where he was. That was Pellinore's last chance. Later that evening, Sir Gawain came back to the spot where he had strangled the king. On seeing the king of the isles was not quite dead, but was suffering and in pain, Gawain put him out of his misery. One sword swing was enough to remove the head of the king of the isles. This time, Pellinore was definitely dead. Two of Merlin's prophecies were fulfilled that day. Gawain, as predicted, had avenged the death of his father. As predicted, King Pellinore had been failed by his best friend, in this case his son, in his hour of greatest need. Unknown to most, a third prophecy had already come true. King Pellinore had told King Arthur the name of the man, King Arthur's own nephew, who would eventually cause the destruction of his realm. Whether it was because everyone thought Gawain killing Pellinore was fair enough, or whether they were just not too bothered, the death of the King of the Isles didn't seem to cause much of a stir. Everything went on as normal. Normal, that is until the court received a very strange guest. Christmas time had come to Camelot, and the knights of the round table were in good spirits. The festivities had lasted a week, and the New Year party was in full swing. King Arthur and Queen Guinevere were happy and content as they enjoyed the celebration. Sir Gawain sat on one side of the Queen, soaking up the atmosphere. Sir Agravain of the Hard Hands sat on her other side, enjoying himself despite his sour nature. The mood turned very quickly, though, when an unusual visitor strode into court. The visitor was a knight, that much was certain. He was riding a horse, was dressed in a knight's clothing, and wielded a particularly ugly and fearsome axe. The knight was unusually large. However unusually large he was, though, this was not what most of the court noticed about him. What was far more unusual was that everything the knight wore, and everything he carried, was a particularly lurid shade of green. Also, for some reason... He carried in his left hand a cluster of holly. Silence fell over the party. It was only broken when the Green Knight spoke. Right, who's in charge here? Whoever it is, I want to talk to him. Arthur spoke. I am king of this land and all of the surrounding lands. My name is King Arthur. Please dismount and join us as we celebrate the new year. You are very welcome to eat and drink with me and my knights. I have no intention of staying, replied the Green Knight. I am here to offer one of you a game. I know that your court contains the bravest and best knights in the world, and I am sure that one of you will be happy to accept my little challenge. King Arthur smiled. If it's a duel or a joust you want, then you've come to the right place. Nope, it's not combat I'm looking for. As you can see, I have come without armour or a lance. I offer one of you a simple bargain. Take my axe. I will bare my neck. Swing the axe as hard as you can and strike me on the neck. I will not offer any resistance. But here is what you have to do for me in return. One year from now, whoever swings the axe must come to the Green Chapel and receive an identical blow from me. Nobody stepped forward. The Green Knight laughed mockingly. What? he sneered. The whole of the Order of the Round Table sits in silence. Not one of you is brave enough. "'Perhaps you are not such a magnificent body of men after all. "'Are all King Arthur's knights really so cowardly?' "'The Green Knight laughed even more loudly. "'Arthur's feathers were ruffled, "'and he stood up and readied himself to wield the axe. "'As he was doing so, a voice was heard from near to the Queen. "'I ask you, sir, give this honour to me.' "'Arthur turned round. "'Sir Gawain had risen from his seat and was approaching. "'He took the axe from Arthur's hand.' "'Just to be sure you understand,' the Green Knight said to Sir Gawain. "'You will strike the blow today, and in a year's time you will come to the Green Chapel "'and receive a blow in return from me. "'When you have struck the blow, I will tell you how to find me and my home.' "'With that, the Green Knight bowed his head slightly. "'His long hair fell forward, and his neck was exposed. "'He stood and waited for the axe-blow. "'Sir Gawain wasted no time. "'He ran his finger lightly across the axe-blade and drew blood.' The blade was incredibly sharp. Surprised and a little nervous, he prepared to strike. He lifted the axe above his head and brought it down with every ounce of strength he could muster. He was as accurate as always, and the axe blade made contact with the green knight's neck. A reasonably competent strike would have been enough to do plenty of damage to a neck, even a strong green one. Sir Gawain's blow was no ordinary blow. As soon as the axe started its arc towards the neck, it was obvious what was going to happen. The axe struck. The green knight's head, long flowing locks and all, was severed and fell on the floor with a thud. For a moment there was silence. The head rolled across the floor. A couple of knights kicked at it as it passed them. Blood spurted upwards from the part of the neck which remained attached to the green knight's body, like a red fountain. It was not a particularly decorative fountain, of course, given that the blood clashed violently with the Green Knight's general greenness. What made the court silent was that the Green Knight's body appeared to be entirely unaffected by its lack of head. It spectacularly failed to fall to the floor. In fact, it strode towards the place where the head came to rest and picked it up. The Green Knight held the head up towards Sir Gawain and the round table. Rather scarily, its eyes opened and focused on the baffled knight. "'The mouth opened. "'Be prepared to stick to your side of the bargain, Sir Gawain. "'I am known by most people. "'Just ride out from here and ask for the knight of the green chapel. "'You will be shown the way. "'See you in a year.' "'The green knight mounted his horse in a more agile manner than one would expect, "'given that he was holding on to his head as he did it. "'Then, reins in one hand and head in the other, the green knight rode from the court. "'King Arthur and his knights mystified and a little scared, carried on with their New Year meal. The party atmosphere didn't return. Nearly a year passed. Britain was at peace and the Knights had a few adventures. At Halloween the following year, Sir Gawain announced it was time to go and seek the Green Chapel. He had to be there to receive his blow by New Year and he wanted to make sure he found it in time. On November the 1st, he rode out from Camelot. Sir Gawain rode up to North Wales. He had been told he would find the Green Chapel easily when the time came, but by Christmas he was getting worried. He was cold and hungry and still had no idea where the Green Chapel was located. As he was getting desperate, he spotted a shimmering castle in the distance. Sensing it might be his last chance, the knight rode up to the castle and asked to be let in. He was warmly welcomed by the lord and lady and all of their court. Also there was an old woman who Sir Gawain nodded to politely as he entered the fortress. That night there was a feast. Sir Gawain ate hungrily and enjoyed himself despite knowing he had only a few more days before he had to be at the Green Chapel. He told the Lord who he was and why he was there. When he heard why Gawain was in North Wales, the Lord laughed. You've come to the right place. The Green Chapel is only two miles from here and you have a few days before you need to be there. Rest here with us, we will take care of you until it is time. I will give you a guide to take you to the chapel at New Year. Until then, make yourself at home. For three days we'll feast, and then the following morning I will be going out hunting. While I hunt, you must stay here. When I return from the hunt, I will give you whatever we catch. In return, I ask you to give me anything that you receive while resting in my castle. Gawain accepted the offer and relaxed a little. If he was going to lose his head to the Green Knight, at least he was going to be comfortable for his last few days. Three days of feasting were enjoyed by all. When the next day dawned, Gawain slept. The Lord rode out with his hunting party, leaving the Knight of the round table to his slumbers. Not long after the Lord had gone, Sir Gawain received an unexpected visitation. He rubbed his eyes to see who had entered his room. He was delighted to see that it was a very beautiful woman. He was less delighted when he realised the woman was the lady of the castle. Sir Gawain, said the lord's wife, I have come to talk of love. I may be the lady of the castle and the wife of the lord, but I would much rather be with you. Gawain felt the panic rise up. He was the guest of the lord and the lord's wife was declaring her love for him. He smiled and spoke cleverly, making a joke of the lady's words while trying not to offend her. He explained carefully that he was a guest in their castle and was in no position to return her feelings. In the end, he managed to convince her to go in exchange for a single kiss. The lady left Sir Gawaine's room and he breathed a sigh of relief. Later that day, the lord and the hunting party returned. The lord presented Sir Gawaine with a fine deer and asked to be given whatever Gawaine had acquired that day. The only thing Sir Gawaine had acquired was a kiss from the lady... "'So he planted a kiss on the Lord and stepped back. "'That is all I have received today,' said Sir Gawain. "'If the Lord was shocked in any way, he didn't show it. "'He laughed, and Gawain laughed along with him. "'Then they ate heartily. "'Before they went to bed, the Lord told Sir Gawain "'they would strike the same bargain the next day. "'Gawain nervously accepted. "'The next day, exactly the same thing happened.' This time Sir Gawain managed to persuade the lady to leave his room in exchange for two kisses. When the lord returned from his hunt he presented Gawain with a boar which he had hunted. In return he received two kisses from the knight. Again they laughed and again they went to dinner. Again the lord told Sir Gawain they would strike the same bargain the following day. The next day of course the same thing happened again. This time three kisses had to be given and still the lady would not leave. If you will not accept my love, Sir Gawain, then you must accept another gift. The lady tried to give Gawain her ring. It was made with the finest gold and had a sparkling diamond set in it. Gawain replied he did not have anything of such great value to give her in return, and he could not accept it. The lady nodded, but was determined to give the knight a gift, so she offered something much less valuable. She gave him a green silk belt. Gawain, thinking he could accept something relatively worthless, agreed to take it. Then she told him it was a magical belt and would protect him. Whoever wore the belt could not be killed. Gawain, not sure whether he was doing the right thing, took the belt and the lady left his room. When the Lord returned, he gave Gawain a fox skin. Gawain returned three kisses. He did not, though, give the Lord the green silk belt. The Lord and his guest went to dinner. New Year arrived and the Lord was as good as his word. He provided Sir Gawain with a guide and wished him luck in his encounter with the Green Knight. Sir Gawain said goodbye to his generous hosts. Then, dressed in his full armour and secretly wearing the green silk belt, he rode off following his guide. They had not ridden far when the guide stopped. Sir Gawain, he said, this is a dangerous game. The Green Knight is fearsome and very fond of fighting and killing. Nobody has ever entered the Green Chapel and lived. He has killed them all. I suggest you ride away from this place. Go, get away while you can. I will not tell a soul you didn't meet him. Your secret would be safe with me. Now ride away and save yourself. Much as he might have wanted to, Sir Gawain knew he couldn't flee from his bargain with the Green Knight. He thanked the guide, but insisted that they carry on. The guide refused to go on, telling Gawain to ride down to the bottom of a nearby rugged ravine, where he would see the Green Chapel. Saying his goodbyes quickly, the guide rode off. Sir Gawain rode down into the ravine, but saw only a crevice in one of the crags. There was no chapel. Then he realised the crevice was the Green Chapel. He shouted out his name and called for the Green Knight to come out and give him the axe blow he had come for. A voice was heard from the bank above him. Sir Gawain looked up. The Green Knight was on his way down, and he was carrying a very nasty-looking Danish axe. He greeted Sir Gawain politely, but brandished the axe. Sir Gawain gulped and prepared for his fate. He bared his neck and waited. The green knight raised his axe. Gawain waited. The green knight tensed the muscles in his arm, and the axe began its deadly arc. Gawain shuddered as he heard the axe whistle through the air, and he prepared himself for death. But no death came. Yet. Yet. The axe blow was halted before the blade reached Sir Gawain's neck. The Green Knight mocked him. I didn't think a knight as brave as you would flinch from a little axe, he scoffed. Now bear your neck again and I will have another go. This he did, and this time Sir Gawain did not move at all. Again though, the axe was brought to a halt before it severed Sir Gawain's head. King Arthur's knight was angry by now, and told the Green Knight in no uncertain terms to get a move on. The Green Knight swung for a third time, and this time the blood flowed. Not much blood flowed, however. The Green Knight slowed it in the air and simply nicked Sir Gawain's neck. Gawain jumped up and declared he was bleeding and therefore the blow had been struck. The bargain was complete. The Green Knight spoke. Sir Gawain, you have received the blow and are now free from our pact. You have proved yourself to be a true and honest knight. Three times I rode out hunting, and three times I gave you what I had caught. Three times you gave me what you had received that day, kisses from my wife. Although she declared her love for you, you kept your honour. Yes, I am the lord of the castle, and my name is Bertilac. The old woman at my court is none other than Morgan Le Fay. She put this enchantment on me and my wife in order to test the honour of the court of King Arthur. She hoped that you would fail and bring disgrace upon him, but you haven't. "'Except that you still have my wife's belt. "'You should have declared that you had received it, Sir Gawain. "'That means that your honour is tainted just a little. "'Now ride back to Camelot and tell King Arthur of your adventure.' "'Sir Gawain did just that, feeling ashamed he had not given bertillac the belt. "'King Arthur praised him for his success and told him not to be too hard on himself. "'Gawain, though, continued to wear it as a reminder of his shame, "'just so he'd remember to be entirely honest in the future.' For a time, the rest of the knights also wore a green silk band to give him their support and make him feel better. Pretty soon, he did feel better. He may have lost a little bit of his honour, but at least he still had his head. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be very grateful for a good review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact me, then please do so by email at, at gmail.com or on Facebook at Paul Vincent Myth and History. Please also check out the podcast website, www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com. You may also like to check out my other podcast, The Myths and History of Ancient Greece, available at www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. Next week, our story will change direction slightly as we go back to see what happened to the small son of King Ban, who we last saw being taken into a lake. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.